Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me here on this bonus episode. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about mental health and specifically how it relates to our walk with God. And my hope for today's episode is that we can kind of rip these shame band-aids that linger over this topic off and that we could have an honest dialogue about practical things of ways to walk through this. And I'll just be upfront with you guys, you know, um, this isn't a topic that I have a ton of knowledge in. And so I've invited one of my friends to help me on this episode. And this uh, friend is an author and has a heart for this topic, but to honor her and to continue her anonymity, uh, we're just going to dive right into the topic. And so I didn't want you to be caught off guard. I didn't want you to be confused, but I'm just really looking forward to this conversation. I believe it will bring healing and freedom uh, specifically to those conversations that we're not having. And so thank you guys for tuning in. So without further ado, let's dive right in. So let's tackle the first uh, topic of how how do we know that we're dealing with mental health as opposed to just having a bad day or having a bad week? What does it actually look like to know that we're dealing um, with a mental health issue? So, yeah, I think that mental health is a spectrum, just like physical health. You range from unhealthy to very healthy, and that can change throughout the course of your life. Or it can stay relatively stable throughout the course of your life. just kind of depends on the person. And everybody's story is very unique. That's a big part of this topic is that everybody's story is unique. And we often treat the topic as though that's not the case. So there will be broad generalizations that are supposed to apply to everybody. Um, But any disorder, like clinical disorder can be classified as a disorder, but it can also exist in a much mellower state. So there are people with clinical OCD, but then there are people that are just a little bit obsessive compulsive. And the difference between them and somebody with a disorder is that if you don't have a disorder level orientation, it doesn't interfere with your life. So people who are classified as having a disorder, it doesn't mean that they're so different from everybody else. It's just a more extreme version that interferes with how they live their life. So in terms of gauging your own mental health, it has a lot to do with how it impacts the rest of your life, how you're able to live the rest of your life. Everybody has bad days. Everybody has consecutive bad days. But if you are finding that the experience is going on and on and you're not feeling better and you don't know why you're feeling better and you don't know who to talk to and everything you've tried isn't working, and you find it's just hard to keep going, whatever going looks like for you. It might be parenting, it might be a job, it might be other relationships, but you're finding it harder to do that day to day, then you may have um, kind of a health state that, that wants your attention, that's crying out for your attention. Just like we have physical symptoms when there's something wrong with our physical health. And those symptoms don't make you a bad person. They just mean that your body needs your attention. So if your mind is crying out for attention, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that you need to pay attention to the symptoms. Yeah, and I would um, I would just love to hear specifically um, right at the beginning of today's episode to the woman that believes in God that is, um, you know, she's, she's just trying her best. She's involved in church and she's doing what she thinks she knows is best. And 
She doesn't want to feel this way. Maybe she feels some sort of shame or guilt for feeling these feelings. You know, we have feelings about our feelings. What would you say to her? Oh gosh, that's huge. Um, there is such a stigma around mental health and, and not just for believers, but for everybody. Mental health is still widely misunderstood in our society, widely stigmatized. And a lot of the people having conversations about mental health and making decisions about mental health don't deeply struggle with mental health. And so sometimes what they say in response doesn't resonate with the people who are struggling. And then particularly for believers, it becomes so painful because there's a sense of expectation, there's a sense of shame, both from their community and with their relationship with God. So their community, they feel like, expects them to be on top of things. And I know it's cliche, but there's so much pressure on women in our society. And there's so much pressure on women in our churches and in our communities to do it all to live up to some imaginary standard of perfection and people just exhaust themselves trying to reach that and then layer in the fact that you feel depressed and you can't seem to resolve it and then layer in that you've been asking God to resolve that for you and he's not doing it and so you're thinking what am I doing wrong and is this like a test is this a trial is God refining me or you just try to apply everything you know about religion and spirituality to your mental health struggles and when the pieces don't fit together it can be so incredibly frustrating so what would I say to people in that place um you have to begin by stripping away all the expectations I think you have to strip away society's expectations you have to strip away your expectations for God and remember that he is above all things ridiculously unpredictable we learned that in the last couple of chapters of Job where he's like can you make eagles fly no then how are you supposed to understand what I'm doing here and it's a good reminder that what he does is so huge and so magnificent we don't even really have a frame of reference for it. Our mental health issue and we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and we have this expectation in society to live up to. And we've been told all our lives that prayer works. And so we want it to work in the way we want it to work in. And we need to strip those expectations down to nothing and try not to immediately replace them with new expectations. Because when we lay our expectations on God, we end up feeling that he's let us down by way of a false construct. He didn't put those expectations out there. We did. But we still end up disappointed in him and angry with him because we've built up an idea of what his response to our prayers should look like. So maybe the first thing that I would say is, is do your best <laughs> to burn all those expectations down and to um, at least start by telling yourself that the stigma is not the driving force behind your identity and it's not the driving force behind your ability to cope and potentially heal from whatever it is you're struggling with. Yeah, and I had this thought while you were uh, talking, this idea. I read it, it had to have been a couple weeks ago now. Of um, I just loved what you said about how we pray for the things we expect God to do and then he doesn't do them and we're like, God, what happened? Why didn't you do them? And... 
how important it is for us to open up our palms and let God move in the way he does. And this is so hard. Like this is not easy at all by any means. But, you know, we we so often pray for the things we want without stopping to strip our expectation down and saying, God, what is it that I need in this season? And so talking about things we need, um, I know that, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the range and spectrums of mental health and the ultimate uh, spectrum is just this, this mindset of staying alive. You need to stay alive. And so let's just toss back and forth some practical things that people can do in this season, whether they're just struggling to get out of bed and they're sleeping in a little bit, whether they feel like there is a weight that is on them and they can't move or whether they're looking at the bridge next to them saying, that looks a little bit better, God, can you please take me home right now? Um, Let's just talk about some practical ways that people can combat those feelings. Definitely a good idea. And I think it's important to establish up front that what that looks like varies a lot depending on where you are. So for people who have mild to moderate depression, for people who are struggling based on the circumstances that we're all experiencing right now, I think the solutions for you are very different. So they involve things like counting your blessings, acknowledging daily all the things that you're thankful for, acknowledging that God has met your needs, getting outside and enjoying the sunshine, getting enough exercise, drinking enough water, eating healthy food, drinking enough water. I'm going to say it again, drinking enough water. Your brain is made of water, so drink water. Um, (laughs) There are healthy lifestyle choices that you need to be making if you're trying to transition out of mild to moderate depression. That's a totally different game than the one that's being played by the person who's at the end of their rope and, and feeling like they're ready to end it. And I think that This is a big part of the problem with our conversation about depression in our society is that the same ideas, the same action items are being applied to everybody anywhere on the spectrum. So the person who's mildly depressed is like, oh, I should make sure I start each day by making my bed and taking a shower and taking a walk. And okay, I can do that. And they make it happen and they see results. And then the person who's severely depressed and has, you know, suicidal tendencies or suicidal ideation, hears that same advice and is like, who came up with this garbage? That's not, I don't take a shower. Are you dumb? Have you ever been depressed ever? It, it rings false. It rings like somebody who studied depression in college or grad school and never really came face to face with it. And so for those people, I would just suggest shifting the mindset from healing to survival. You're not trying to get better. You're not trying to get healthier in this moment at this time. You should have as few expectations for yourself as possible. And I know that's maybe sounds counterintuitive and maybe sounds a little bit defeatist to some people. But what happens is when you are in that place of darkness, any kind of pathway out seems too long and too hard to follow. And that ends up just making you feel worse. And so your your primary goal shifts from one of feeling better to just making it through to the next minute. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, I keep thinking about this idea of staying alive and, and the, 
specifically when you said like the advice that people give to people with extreme depression it's got to be written by somebody that's never walked through uh, depression before and you know um, personally I've lost two cousins and one uncle to suicide and I will never forget because it's such a it's such a hard topic to tackle in Christian culture for so many reasons but I will never forget the most helpful thing someone said to me after I lost my uncle is they said you know I I can't imagine what you're facing right now and I want to put this in perspective for you uh, the people at the top of the tower during 9-11 they didn't jump because they wanted to die they jumped because everything on fire or everything below them was on fire and they didn't have a way out and I think about that so retrospectively to mental health in that final stage because we can't tackle the topic unless we honestly look at this this moment where it's not that people don't want to be here. It's that they don't know how to be here. Um, and I think that's really an, an important perspective for us as as believers, as we walk through this journey, it's holding the space for us to say like, it, it's okay that everything feels like it's falling apart. And that doesn't make you less of a believer. It doesn't make you a bad person. It's nothing to be shameful over. It's simply, it, it's just simply holding the space for us to feel those things. And so Let's uh, let's segue over and let's talk to the friend that is walking with one of their friends who's experiencing any sort of mental health. Because again, if you haven't walked through it, it's hard to walk with someone through it. And we do our best. We absolutely do our best. But um, I would love to kind of chat about what does that friend need to know? Like what is actually helpful for them to know in this season? That's huge. I think that it depends on your degree of closeness to the person. And the first thing that we can all do regardless of our position is change the way that we talk about suicide publicly as a community. So whether or not you believe this to be true, I think it is absolutely vital to stop talking about suicide as a selfish act. When people who are thinking about suicide hear that, and you you never know who they are unless you know who they are. When people who are thinking about suicide hear that, they feel that much worse about themselves. And it's reinforced, and it's reinforced, and it's reinforced. And what else is enforced is your community is not open to conversation with you. They've said in your hearing publicly that people who think about suicide are selfish. So if, if you come forward as someone who's thought about suicide, you've already been labeled as selfish. So they know that what they're feeling is wrong, which is not true. And they know that they can't trust you as a source. And so I think the kinds of conversations we have about suicide need to be much more cautious and much less judgmental so as to pave the way for trusting open conversations and people being willing to confide. Um, and then, of course, you'll end up being closer to some people who are in that place. And sometimes you don't know it. You might pick up cues or sometimes they might tell you directly. And that's a whole different kind of thing to tackle. Like you said, if you haven't walked through it, it's so hard to know what to say, what to do, how to respond. Um, the, the number one thing you need to do is absolve yourself of any guilt or any potential future guilt. Whatever they end up deciding to do is completely out of your hands. 
Often when people commit suicide, all of their closest loved ones spend the rest of their lives wondering if they could have done anything differently. Um, the fact is that once somebody enters that place and sets their, their eyes on the end, there's almost nothing that can pull them out of it. So you, you need to be aware that you can help and be supportive and you can um, be a good friend, but you also can't be held responsible for the outcome. And this is kind of how we live in every aspect of life. We do our absolute best and then free ourselves from the outcome because that part of it is often out of our hands. So as to ways that you can respond to that person and support that person, I think that the number two thing that you need to do is um, not in any way pretend like you know what they're going through. We have this tendency as humans to try to take ownership of, to try to empathize with, and it's very touching. It's a very endearing quality. But when we do it wrong, it really rubs people the wrong way and can do more harm than good. So the best thing is to not pretend like you know, to not necessarily offer advice. I think often people who offer advice from outside of a situation, whether it's depression or anything else, you know, it's, it's like somebody who doesn't have kids offering parenting advice. Everybody knows how absurd that is. So if you are not severely depressed and never have been, probably it's not within your purview to offer advice to people who are severely depressed. That said, um, the, the most helpful thing is to ask questions instead. Um, what do you need is probably the most effective question. Even if they don't know what they need when you first ask it, it's a good one to repeat. You can also anticipate some needs based on what you already know about the person. If they like coffee, bring them a coffee every once in a while. If they like flowers or chocolate or tea or, you know, you know your friends and you know what they like. And so go out of your way to drop surprises on them. Um, also go out of your way to get in touch with them for no reason. So often when people are in the throes of depression, they need someone to talk to, but they feel like they can't reach out. They feel stuck. They feel embarrassed. They feel that stigma. They feel that shame. They feel like, I don't want to call my friend because I don't even know what to say. I can't even speak right now. I'm so bad right now. I can't even form sentences. And so they may not be reaching out to you, but you're regularly checking in can often be a, a ray of hope and a breath of salvation to people who just need some kind of tether to reality, particularly if they are alone a lot. Um, they're going to need a lot of those strings to tether them back to the real world and absolve yourself of expectations, but also absolve them. Don't think that like if you drop by with flowers and a cup of coffee, they're going to feel all better tomorrow. That's not how depression works. That's how bad moods work. You go over with a bottle of wine and you chat it out and then the next day everything's back to normal, but that is not depression. And so if you are expecting that of your friend or of yourself, both of you are going to be disappointed and the damage to your friend will be far worse. So, um, but maybe the, the last thing I would say about that is all of these things need to be repeated, maybe more frequently than your instincts tell you. So after a friend confides in someone that they're depressed, usually the friend 
reaches out a few times like oh let me bring you by a box of donuts or a pizza or do you want to watch a movie or sending texts late at night how you doing today how was your day and then after a few days or a week or so it peters off and it's back into the normal rhythm of friendship and I don't want anyone to feel guilty about that fact but what I would suggest is set some reminders on your phone uh, repeating reminders for weeks and months in in the, to the future, and you can adapt those in the future. Of course, if your friend starts to you know if the situation changes, but in the meantime, you're going to need to be reminded that they need repeated touches, repeated reconnections to you, and if you're one of their strongest connections to their normal life, uh, that has to be sustained, which can be really hard for for all of us to do especially if we're going on memory alone. So this, this shouldn't be a huge amount of pressure and it shouldn't be like, okay, well, I have to remember all these things and I have to do all these things and I have to try to get together with them. And that's not necessarily true. The smallest things, just the, the unexpected text at the end of the day, the unexpected, oh, they dropped a note in my mailbox. Those tiny things, if you're driving by their house anyway or fill in the blank but I think the calendar reminders are probably your best tool because then you take the pressure off yourself for remembering to check back in um and then I think maybe prepare prior to conversations with questions that you can ask if they seem authentic you don't want to go in scripted but you also don't want to be caught like a deer in the headlights so they lay it all out there and you're like uh I I I have no words well (laughs) that's not always a bad thing because sometimes when people just talk for the sake of talking it's worse um but just have in mind some questions that you can ask based on your knowledge of your own friend and those questions can even be do you want to talk right now do you want me to talk right now Do you want me to tell you some dumb stories about my childhood? Do you want me to fill the silence or do you want me to hold the silence with you? Do you want to watch a dumb TV show? Do you want to watch YouTube fail videos? Do you want to pray? Do you want to read? Do you want to lay down on the floor and look at the ceiling? Just have a host of questions that you can put forward without badgering your friend. Um to kind of help them assess what they need because chances are good when you ask that first golden question, what do you need? They either won't know what to say or they'll be too embarrassed to say. So gentle prodding questions can help you arrive at the best way to spend that time with them in moments of crisis and then reminding yourself after to check in to make sure they're not in another moment of crisis that you're not aware of. Uh, yeah, and I love uh, just this idea of asking, do you want me to hold the space or fill the space? Um, because people will give you different answers. Uh, some people are looking for you to speak something, and some people are like, there's nothing you could say right now to make me feel better, so just don't. Um, as you were talking, I just, again, I think the power of prayer is so keen for friends and covering them in prayer and I just finished a book called intercessory prayer by Dutch sheets I've referred to it all all, in so many things but it said one of the most effective things we can pray is that the Holy Spirit would hover over them and give them new life Um, specifically in talking with depression and mental health because you know sometimes we pray what we think they need and that's not always the answer 
And so really just being active in prayer. And I love your, your ideas of like setting reminders on your phone, being practical of, am I in the neighborhood? And if I'm in the neighborhood, what is a place I can stop by? What is something I can do to just extend that? Because you're so right. Like things tether off so quickly and we're really good for a few days. And then it just, and so when, as we're being friends to people in the season and other seasons that battle with mental health. I think that is, um, yeah, just really good advice. And so I'd love for us to segue back, make a U-turn and kind of finish up this episode. We got about six minutes left of what are practical things we can do bouncing back and forth of getting through the season. If we're struggling with depression, if we can't get out of bed, whatever it is. Um, yeah, some practical things we can do to make it through this season. Yeah, like I said a little bit ago, I think where you are on the spectrum of depression is an important key to answering that question. And if you're in a mild place, you're going to want to exercise and eat well and do kind of the typical things that you hear about, the typical advice that you hear, just actually putting it into practice. Because a lot of us know, I really need to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. I really need to exercise more. I really need to just relax and play with my kids more or talk with my friends more. Um, making those things happen will go a long way. But the group I'd like to talk to now are those that are past that point. When I talk about you know, getting together with friends or eating healthy, that feels like way too much for them. And when that feels like way too much for you, you feel worse instead of better. And so that path out seems too arduous, too difficult. You don't even want to attempt it. Even talking about it makes you want to sink deeper into the bed and cry. So I think for those people, practical, minute responses are absolutely vital to your basic survival. And um, what that will look like is freeing yourself of long-term expectations not trying to achieve major goals or get better. It's just the effort to stay alive during this moment and only this moment. And then the next moment accomplishing the same thing. You may get to a place where you feel better enough to continue getting better, to continue climbing out, to exercise, to live a healthier, more stable life. But You also may not. God does not heal everyone of their physical ailments. God did not relieve Paul of the thorn in his side. God does not heal everyone of their mental ailments. And I think a basic acceptance of that can take a lot of the pressure off. It might sound initially defeatist, but in the end, people who struggle with long-term depression spiral because they're expecting to get better and they're not getting better. So owning the current state, living in the current state, and making one moment into the next moment into the next moment is probably the most effective way to keep yourself from getting worse. So that might look at, um, you know, making small investments in your home or in your family or in your friends, offering to do a job for somebody so that you're then, you feel obliged to show up for it planting something so that you feel like, well, it's a waste of time if I don't wait to see it grow. Uh, Being willing to step outside, not to step outside for a run or a walk or a bike ride, just to literally step through the door and then step back inside to change the space. 
uh, counting the minutes as they go by, sitting and, and watching a clock, I think can help instill a sense of neutrality so that your thoughts aren't straying negative and they're not straying positive. You are just waiting for the severity of the feeling to pass. Yeah, and um, I remember listening to a Craig Rochelle uh, podcast talking specifically about that false hope of expecting things to get better and then they don't when we end up taking a step backwards. And um, the context he was talking about was specifically COVID-19 related and how, you know, you have the optimists that are like, end of May, end of May. And he's like, let's just not put a date on it because every time you put an expectation and it's not met, you find yourself a little bit more discouraged and um, feeling that hopelessness. And so just so it's just some powerful, powerful tools of stripping expectation and really just staying alive in this season. Um, and then if you are in that middle to beginning spectrum, you know, putting those simple things into your daily, it could just be like a little tweak that helps you stay moving. Um, I know just for me, one of the things that has really helped in the season is uh, spending 30 minutes a day just creating. And really just whether it's painting or drawing or recording a podcast or going for a walk or looking uh, at photography, playing my guitar, whatever it is, you know, 30 minutes of something that's mindless, but something that gives me space to just be. Um, and then I know another thing that has helped just kind of form a heart of gratitude in the morning is writing three letters a day to people and dropping it in the mail. And I keep preaching on this because it's it's just such an interesting, I guess, refocus in the morning instead of all the things I have to do. It's like, who is God asking me to encourage today and how do I go about uh, obeying that? And so, yeah, any final thoughts? Um, yeah. Yes, if you are severely depressed, don't ask yourself who God is asking you to encourage. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. If if it helps you to ask that question, do. But if you have any impulse to do something like that, show gratitude and reach out, and it makes you feel guilty, you need to let it go. That should help you feel better. And if it's if it's giving you guilt, it's not the right solution for you at this time. So you're you're absolutely right that I think gratitude, reaching out to others, that's such a healthy, helpful thing to do, unless it's not. So be be careful with that, and especially believers, don't don't be driven by guilt. That will drive you deeper into your hole. Yeah, yeah and I um I just keep thinking about this idea of like letting light in you know, of letting somebody into what you're experiencing. Because as we started the episode, there's such a stigma, such a shameful feeling around our feelings and why we feel the way we feel. And so, yeah, that's good. Thanks for catching that because it's so true. If you can barely get out of bed, it's like, I don't want to write a letter. Like, I can't even get a word on a paper. So, <laughs> touche to that. And, you know, I know we are uh, laughing a little bit in this episode. We recognize that the things we're talking about aren't necessarily um, funny, but we do know that humor can just kind of be a refreshment. And so, um, yeah. Any final thoughts before we send the people on their way from this, uh, this bonus episode? Yes. So we've heard many of us all our lives that God gives us strength for the tasks that he's prepared for us. And I think that that's usually taken in a way that, you know, you're strong enough, you can do it. But I think it can also be reframed in terms of there are some things that you are not strong enough for, and that's okay. So 
if that is you and you are feeling all of the pressure of your faith and your faith community expecting you to be somewhere that you're not, you need to let go of that. You need to be able to embrace the strength that God has given you and the task that he's put before you and recognize that it's completely okay to not be strong enough for some things. We don't really do that physically. You know, I can't deadlift 500 pounds and I never beat myself up about it. But if I'm not emotionally and spiritually strong enough for something, I just think I'm terrible. And that is not a biblical view. It's not a helpful view. I think it keeps a lot of people down when what they need to be doing is focusing on what do I have enough strength for? And even if that is just staying alive today, that is sufficient. That's good. It's a good final thought. Good deal. Well, thanks for hanging out with me. And you guys look, uh, if this episode hit home for you at all, here's what I want you to know that there are resources available for you. And I know we just got done reading the depressed person's guide to avoiding suicide and Um, yeah, just gives you a lot of tools that you can put in your tool vault to really help you no matter what spectrum or no matter where you find yourself on this type of spectrum. It is a super short read and I don't know. Yeah, a lot of good tools in it. And just to cover our our ends, we are by no means mental health specialists, just two girls that believe in God that, you know, know that this is a real, um, pressure point for women of faith and even men of faith if you're listening to this. And so just to give you that disclaimer, but thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I hope that this episode was helpful and I just hope that you know uh, you can keep going like just one day at a time, one hour at a time, stay alive, stay in it and uh, don't be afraid to uh, yeah, shine light on the things that feel shameful. So thanks for hanging out today, guys. Catch you later.